All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuck nicks? How are you? What's up? It's Mark. Hello? Hi, it's Mark. Hello? Hello? Is anyone there? Hi. Can you hear me? It's Mark. Am I? Hold on. Maybe it's muted or something. Am I now? Can you hear me? Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? I didn't see you either. Is the mute on? Turn your video on. Is it video? This isn't video. This is audio. That's why you can't see me. Hello. Can you hear me? How's it going, you guys? You all right? I don't know what that was. That was a short performance piece called Can You Hear Me uh, that I wrote this morning. I wrote it in real time. Did it feel like that? It felt pretty scripted, though, didn't it? Are you okay? I'm okay. I feel okay. I'm going to talk to Christopher Lloyd today. Now, of course, we all know him from Back to the Future and Taxi. But Christopher Lloyd has been working consistently in theater, TV, and film for 60 years. Now, I I don't know. I, I don't prioritize Taxi. I don't prioritize Back to the Future. For some reason, I got hung up in a, a lot of the early stuff, particularly he played Tabor in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in an unforgettable role as one of the uh, patients at the loony house, at the, sorry, at the mental hospital, at the loony bin, at the nut house, at the cuckoo shack, at the mental institution. And I got off on that. I guess start, you know, I don't know. You know me. What are we going to talk about? That sounds good. I don't want... There's some true evil in this fucking country. There's some true racist evil. And I don't I didn't want to sound like I did not focus enough on those horrendous racially based killings of Asian women and the horrendous targeting of Asians here in America in general. It's awful. And I had dreams, man. There's just an awful contingent within this country. It's very scary. And obviously what the Asians have been going through for years since they they first got here is awful and it's more awful now. I had a dream that I was in a car handcuffed and there were Nazis driving it. But they weren't Nazi Nazis. They were like, they look like uh, hipster Nazis. I just knew they were Nazis. You know, like um, salvage denim Nazis. They look like uh, handmade belt Nazis, you know, waxed beard Nazis, trucker cap Nazis, kind of guys that, you know, might might wear some white boots and a, and a, a, a handcrafted T-shirt, maybe a Filson jacket Nazis, guys that look like they might be in a, a comforting semi-folk outfit Nazis. And I remember I was in the car and I was uh, handcuffed with sitting sideways in the back seat behind the driver. And I just noticed a guy in the passenger seat with his waxed beard and long hair was uh, disinfecting his hands because he was going to punch me in the face. And I couldn't understand what what he was doing. Was he putting alcohol in his hands? It would hurt me more or protecting himself. I don't know what that detail was about. It was a dream. And I remember saying like, look, I, look, I know, I know I'm a Jew, but you don't have to do this. And he's like putting this stuff on his hands and he's kind of 
hitting one into the other with that smacky sound. You know, that, that, that little smacky sound. And I'm like, you don't have to do this. And he said, hey, man, I'm not going to do it. The South is going to do it. And we just kept driving. That was a dream. I don't want any emails about judging the South. That was in my dream. Then I had some other dream about some, you know, a, a woman that I seemed to be in a relationship with, but I had no idea um, who she was. And I knew she was uh, mad at me and leaving me. But I don't, I don't, in it, I was sort of like, we're breaking up. I don't even know who you are. I don't know what that means either. And there was another dream where I kept asking this guy not to uh, sue me. <laughs> I don't know what, I, I don't know about what I don't know. This happened in quick succession. You know, when you wake up and pee and you come back, oh, where are we now? Um, I guess I'm in a car with Nazis. Then you wake up and pee and you come back and like, what's happening now? This woman wants to divorce and I have no idea who she is. Wake up and pee and come back. Why, why does Ned Beatty want to sue me? Why wouldn't he just not do it? I keep telling, I keep saying, please, you don't have to do this. And it was Ned Beatty, a younger Ned Beatty. I've, I have some of the great character actors in my dreams. They'll, you know, those guys work, man. They show up everywhere, the great character actors. Ned Beatty making an appearance as, the, I believe, the attorney uh, who was, uh, whose client was suing me. And he did a great job. He did a great job with the part. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello? Hello? Um, Christopher Lloyd's on the show today. And I'd like to announce the, uh, I have a new roommate. I'm in a new relationship. Um, his name is Sammy. Sammy Red. Also, uh, aliases, I think, are going to be the Samster. Sam the Man. Sam Sammy. Sam Sam. Sammy. Sammy. Sammy Boy. Sammy is a six-week-and-change-old ginger kitten. White face, white chest. Kind of stripy. Not really. Red. Looks very panicked and very confused, but uh, my friend Kit brought him over. He had to be removed from his mother with the other kittens in the litter for uh, safety reasons. And uh, he got about four weeks in on the nip with the with the bros and the sisses. Learned some tricks. Seems to be cleaning himself. Kit had him on the bottle for a while. We got him eating this. We got him eating the solid food. He started eating the solid food and the kibble. She brought him over. We got a tent. We got some blankets. Got a scratching post, got a fake mouse, got a fake sardine, got a little tiger head thing, set up the, the room, got boxes in the corners. Initially, the issue was, will he poop normal? Can we get some normal kitten poop? So now I've got him on the kitten food, with a little pumpkin mixed in, some probiotic, and uh, he's going at it. He's coming along. Buster is... <laughs> <laughs> at the door i've let him see each other a bit sammy doesn't seem to give a fuck buster's i don't it, it really strikes me what i'm getting from buster what i'm projecting onto buster what i'm feeling like buster would be saying if he could is like why the fuck is that is that here but not like oh shit i'm in trouble not like i'm gonna kill that thing but like why is this little fuck here? We had a good thing going, man. We finally got rid of the oldies. And it was me and you, man. Me and you. 
walking down the road of life together, and now you bring in this little fucker. What am I going to do with him? I'm going to use him as a goddamn ball. I'm going to bat him around. I'm going to throw him up and down. I don't know. Buster's a mean fucker. So we'll see what happens. But the impression I got was that he's like, all right, he's not a threat to me, but he's obviously going to be a time suck for uh, for you, which means less time for me, and that's going to cause me a little anxiety. So I, I might have to beat up on it a little bit. That's I'm just saying, that's what's going to happen in the future. <laughs> That's all. I'm just saying hi. Just saying. I'm just letting them know what's up. And I might pee on your shit. So, heads up. I went to the farmer's market with uh, Eliza Schlesinger's husband, Noah. Uh, he's a chef. And um, he, uh, he's got an inn over there. You know, with the, when you're a wholesaler, you're doing the business get in a little early but it was it was they're they're checking people they're distancing they're only letting a certain amount of people in i hadn't been out into the that farmer's market in hollywood for years and um i got some stuff and it was nice i don't even know why i'm telling you this i guess i just wanted to tell you that i went out (laughs) to the farmer's market and bought vegetables and was among the people everyone masked everyone buying greens i bought some fish at the fish guy I got some uh, oranges at the orange lady and some avocados at the, also the orange lady. She wasn't orange. She sold oranges and avocados. So I guess she was the orange and avocado lady. Talked to Noah about some cooking tips. And uh, that's all. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hello? Is this on? Can you hear me? So I got to get rid of some apps. Because now I got the Citizen app and I've got the I've got the thing that comes with the Ring that community. So now I'm getting it from all sides. Like Citizen's app, you get the police blotter report. Like man with uh, hat and butter knife <laughs> spreading cream cheese on his arm in on Glen Oaks. I saw one from the Citizen's app. Old woman sitting in sun. Like there was concern, like she couldn't be trusted to enjoy the outdoors by herself, that someone ought to go over there and check on her. And then this ring thing is even more crazy because there's a man in my yard. Police have been called. Then, you know, ring customer number four. Is it the same one from yesterday? Ring customer number 72. Did you call the police? Ring customer number 84. Didn't this happen to you two days ago? Ring customer number 72 again. Did you call the police? Ring customer uh, number nine. What kind of man? Not to be racially explicit, but size maybe? Ring customer number 72. Same guy from two days ago? Ring customer number 42. Did you call the police? And then the original complaint. Oh, it's my husband again. I've got to stop calling the police so much. I don't need the distraction or do I? Seems like I'm entertained by it. Seems like I'm entertained by it. We're not going to do it. The South is going to do it. So look, Christopher Lloyd is in this new movie, Nobody, with Bob Odenkirk, which I watched. Bob was good. Christopher was good. It's one of those movies. I don't really see these kind of movies, but I liked it. 
It's about the non-assuming guy that all of a sudden is just a fucking maniac for the for the good. Uh, it's in theaters this Friday, March 26th, and uh, Christopher's wife Lisa was there when we uh, when we had this talk, and uh, and you'll hear her uh, chime in a few times. And that's uh, this is it. As I said before, we covered One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest like it was a new film. <laughs> this is me talking to Christopher Lloyd. Are you afraid you can fall asleep if you go far back? Yeah, I'll, I'll just <laughs> take a rest. <laughs> it's a, a reclining mode means it's time for nap. I'm almost there. Yeah. I'm alive. No, you're very alive. Spry, on it. I watched a movie last night, running around with guns. That's good. I haven't done anything like that before. It was just, I liked it. I had fun. Yeah. Oh, really? You've never done what? The the gunplay? Uh... <laughs> well, I've had a little gunplay here and there, but this this was hardcore kind of, you know. Yeah. I was into it. Yeah. I mean, when you when you approach something like that, I mean, what is it different to, than another role? Because it's sort of over the top, and you sort of know that, so you can just go to town, right? I don't know. I, I was intrigued uh, by the character. He was highly skilled, slick, dangerous motherfucker. Yeah. Mostly because uh, he just had a lot of cool. He was very smart. He knew how to handle the hardware and do little uh, strange kind of uh, stuff yeah. to entrap the victims, whoever they might be. And then he retires. It's getting a little old, you know, to be carry on like that. And then his son gets, gets in, the, in a pickle and I come out of my retirement and I have like the last, the last climax, you yeah. know, <laughs> Just go for it. So, if this, uh, what if this becomes a franchise? You're gonna have to do that guy again and again. I hope so. <laughs> I hope I live long enough to do it again and again. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I, I'm. I figure I'll be, be be here at least for one more shot if it happens. Like you know that backstory though. Like just the the idea that you put that backstory together was that something you, you know that because you've been acting a long time. And, you, you know, when you approach something like that, do you create a backstory or is that something a director brings to you? I, th- that's what I kind of, I, I mean, it was suggested in the script, but it wasn't yeah. anything they gave me. I just, you know, he comes out of retirement and he loves doing his stuff again. Where'd you, well, you started in New York, right? Yeah. And where, where'd you grow up? Uh, I was born in Stamford, Connecticut. And my folks always had an apartment in New York, so I'd, was constantly going back and forth. And then as soon as I got out of high school, I went to drama school in New York when I was 19, I think. And I never left. I was I stayed there until, what was it, 1985. And I moved to uh, L.A. And where'd you go to the drama school? Where'd you, where'd you start acting? Oh, the neighborhood playoff school, the theater. And they had a, a phenomenal... Uh, Sandy Meisner. Yeah, he, he was he was the greatest, uh, and made made a total impression on me. And what I learned from him. What kind of guy was he? Because I, I tried to give an impression to him because he was sort of like the American version of the method. Correct. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, he had such poise, intelligence. He would have three hour, a three-hour acting class at the Neighbor Playhouse in the morning, another three-hour in the afternoon, and then his professional class three hours at night. And that's a lot of time to be, be sitting in the chair watching uh, people get up and do their, do their stuff. He never, ever lost focus. He'd be, he'd, he'd be watching somebody uh, doing their work, yeah. and analyzing it, pull it, put it, and then he'd give the you know, precise, exact commentary on it. Uh-huh. And he was always supportive. He didn't mess around, but he had an extraordinary sense of humor, wit, and he was very dignified. He was a handsome kind of guy. And and like, what tools did like when you when you approach acting even now? Like, what stuff? I mean, obviously, and I've known this from talking to many actors and uh, you know over and over again that a lot of it is just you know how you you just you kind of cobble together your own system and you do what you do. But were yeah. there things that you learned from Meisner that you still are conscious of doing? Yes, I am. I mean, I don't think about it so much now. Back then, I'd do a, a, be in a play or whatever. One night, I couldn't go wrong. It's like I was in a groove. Or whatever. Next night, it's like I'm wallowing around the stage, trying to get in, into it again. And Meister taught me how to keep the focus and how to get back back in the groove and, and all that uh, technique for that, which was based... A lot of people uh, a little perplexed. It was a word, a, a repeating word. Oh, really? To, to somebody else, you know. I'd say, who are you? And he, they'd say, who are you? And, and it changes the behavior as you go along. And yeah. may not get like a yelling match, but what you do, he always said, what you do depends on what the other does. So you're always connected and attached and it pulls the emotions along eventually as well when you, when you get the sense of it. And that, I mean, that's probably, I mean, it's probably more consistent doing that in theater. I imagine once you make the, the jump to film, it's harder to hold on to that focus because, you know, you're shooting everything in pieces. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still, while the camera's rolling, you could use it. You know? Yeah. You, yeah. You could use it in, in any context, really. Yeah. Just listen and stay present. Yeah. Yeah. So you did how much? You did a lot of stage work initially, right? Yes, yeah. Do you miss that? I I, I do, but I I still go back and do some. You, you know, it, it's not like I got into movies and no more theater. I keep it up. I, it, there's always another play comes up, and yeah, I'm gonna do, do I'm gonna do King Lear this summer. Really? Where are you doing that? At the uh, Berkshire Shakespeare Company. Um, you spent time in Massachusetts. Did you spend time there when you were a kid? Uh, yes. I, I went to boarding school from the third to the eighth grade in West Newton, Massachusetts. In West Newton, Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. How, you're familiar with, with uh, Massachusetts? Sure. I started my comedy career in the, uh, in the uh, small towns and villages of New England, and I lived in... Uh, I lived in Massachusetts for several years. I lived in Boston, Somerville. Uh, just I, I lived in Brookline, just shy uh, of Newton. Uh, but I know Newton, you know, Route 9. Uh, <laughs> and I did a lot of gigs down the Cape. You know, there used to be a gig down in Yarmouth. 
at a Chinese restaurant. I, you know, I did. I was all over New England. Ah. Uh-huh. So, what was your first play? Well, my f- <laughs> my first paying job in New York because I did off, 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 off Broadway all over the place. I was going from one um, workshop to another, but at the same time, jobbing out to summer stock and regional theater and all that. But the first play I did in New York, as I remember, was the the Chelsea Theater Company. I think it was uh, Robert Calvin was director, uh-huh. and it was Caspar Casper uh-huh. by some Peter Hankey, I think, an Australian uh-huh. playwright. And I got an O before it, and it just kind of threw the doors open. That was it. That's where it started. That's interesting. So at the beginning. You were probably doing. Were you, how, what years were this? In the sixties, mid sixties. I, I I got that play in around nineteen seventy two or three. So when you were doing the the off off Broadway stuff, you were running around doing summer stock, but were you doing all kinds of weird kind of uh uh you know progressive theater shows down in the village and stuff, and then going and doing like Noel Coward in New Jersey. Is uh, that- it was uh, um, a lot of a lot of. Uh, <laughs> sketchy <laughs> situations. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I remember because um, and everybody worked. I was fortunate that I didn't have to have a job to get through the day. But most actors who were struggling, they they'd be working during the day, and, and these workshops don't pay anything. Right. Oh, so sometimes rehearsals would be start at 12 or 1 a.m. because that's the only time everybody was available. Right. So there was a lot of that. Got pretty weird. Basements. Do you remember any strange sort of like experimental productions that you did? Well, sort of. I I, I did a play called Hypatia 3. Yeah. It was kind of a Romanesque thing with togas and shit. Yeah. Made no sense whatsoever <laughs> there was always more actors on stage than seated in the audience yeah and i was um about to divorce my wife at the time the first one my next wife was uh, in the cast okay well it was a change of everything <laughs> changing of the wives the the ceremony of the changing of the wives uh, yes yeah not not Lisa. Lisa came along later. But so it was just a weird show, huh? Yeah, but it was kind of typical. <laughs> right, right. So you didn't have to work because you what uh, you kind. I guess you come from a, a, a family. Yeah, I have a, fa- a family. You know, they were kind of well off. So don't you like? I read somewhere that uh, what is it that you you can trace your uh, relatives all the way back to the Mayflower. I, yeah, I, I'm I'm told that I have never sat down and done the done my homework to see if it's really true right i think it was some or the second night flower i don't know but back in the you know back in the day back in the day but your mom was from uh the i guess her family was part of the founding people of texaco huh yeah yeah my grandpa did you know him no he died i think he died the year i was born was he like a wildcatter was he out there with the drills or was he uh I don't think so too much. Yeah, uh, he went. He went to school somewhere in eastern Pennsylvania, a college out there, and he met a guy who was already because Pennsylvania was one of the first places to 
uh, get get going with oil. Yeah. And another guy from Texas, and the three of them collaborated. And, there you and, go, Texaco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you didn't have to work. So interesting because I kind of have an inside awareness and knowledge of the beginning of the whole oil thing, uh-huh. and now it's fading out. You know, it's going which which is not a bad idea. But now it's so. I, that was like an interesting phenomenon that came and now it's going. Thank God. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I hope in a nick of time. Yeah, it might, yeah. It might be too late. Yes, I know. We'll see. Uh, Wait, how did you, uh, when did um, Cuckoo's Nest happen? How did that happen? That happened in 1973. Yeah, I think it was 1970. I don't know. I've been, uh, I wanted to do film, but... Uh, I just, I didn't, when I walked in an office for a, and meet people with a film, I just felt, you know, because I, I wasn't, you know, extra, you know, what do you call it? Yeah, uh, extroverted. I, I, yeah. And I'm not, you're not a song and dance man. You're, you're a, a yeah. tall, you're an, a tall, intense gentleman. Yeah. I, I, you know, all I got was, thank you for coming. <laughs> Weirdo, uh, get out! <laughs> so, uh, so I, I figured I was. It was getting to the point because uh, I'd be set up, nothing happening, not even a, a nibble, and I figured that you know some actors don't make the bridge from theater to film. Okay, yeah. and then they, came, I was doing a production of Macbeth at the downstairs theater at Lincoln Center. Vivian Beaumont is a theater down below and with uh, Christopher Walker was Macbeth. Oh, wow. And a few other characters. Uh-huh. And um, John Simon uh, referred to it as that Swiner's production of Macbeth. The, you know. <laughs> <laughs> was Walken, uh, did he have the same intensity then? Yes, he did. And, I, you know, back then I was just getting to know him. And he was very, that you know, you know Christopher Walker, you know. Yeah. But this is fucking Shakespeare, you know. I never said anything like that. <laughs> but, um, and I and we've worked together since. And I, I love him. I mean, he, he's an extraordinary uh, character of person. So you're doing that? You're doing I, that show? I'm and- doing that. And... I was kind of in a crazy mood, and they set me up. Kukos has came to New York to cast, and they, uh, this guy had been setting me up, set me up to to meet them, and um, I went up and auditioned. Uh, the The auditions consisted of Milos Foreman uh, sitting the way Nurse Ratchet would sit at a, in a circle, uh, yeah, at a meeting, yeah, and the the myself and the other actors coming up to audition, we'd sit like that. And Milos Forward would sit in the middle and get conversation going, getting getting us going, you know. Uh-huh. And that's how he decided whether or not you were going to do it. So then I got a letter. Okay, I'm going to do it. So that was... So that's uh, wild. So he Milos, Milos would have you... Uh, uh, you'd sit in the semicircle or the circle, and then yeah. what, he'd, he'd rotate guys in and out during a, a, an improvised uh, audition? Yeah, he may have. He may have, but he, 
and then they just feed you and get things going between us. And uh, who is? Do you remember? Like it was uh, was uh, uh, Devito in your audition? No. And did you did you have that character of Tabor right from the get go? Did you make decisions around how that guy would be? Well, I I did whatever I did in the audition, and then when they said you got it, I went and got Ken, Ken Kesey's novel and and studied it. Had they done the stage play in New York already? Yeah, Danny DeVito was in the off Broadway production at the time. Oh, he was. I know that originally it was, you know, Mike Douglas was trying to put it together as a vehicle for Kirk. Yeah. And I think maybe it was Kirk Douglas. It, I, I don't know if he was Broadway or off-Broadway, but I know that Kirk Douglas did McMurphy. And I, uh, can't, even, I can't even imagine that. Yeah, I know. I think he did it on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure of that. And, and nothing came of it, so he gave it to uh, his son. He, uh, well, his son produced it, right? Yeah. Where'd you guys shoot that? Was that shot in like a, in a coastal town? Was it shot in Seattle or somewhere? Uh, Salem, Oregon. Right. Salem, Oregon had this this complex of buildings that included the, uh, a prison, state yeah. prison, and for the you know people who were a little mentally bit, mentally ill. Yeah. And uh, they had the third floor um, when pharmaceutical drugs came in they could take they could leave the hospital and take care of themselves uh -huh. with, with uh various kind of drugs as as zombies and, they could go out into the world zombies. <laughs> and, and sleepwalk we took over an entire floor which had a game room and the bath and sleeping quarters all the stuff needed for the film did he make you sleep there? How, how deep did you guys get? Oh, we did sleep there sometimes because each of us had an assigned bed with a little uh, table with a drawer to put your personal effects in or uh -huh. on. And, uh, and then at night, they closed it up. So you were, you were in a cage, locked. Oh, my locked. God. And sometimes we did, did sleep there. But voluntarily, we, we weren't being punished. <laughs> so the, the groupie, uh, I mean, because it was quite a group, you know, there was... I mean, the, the, the different, uh, all the guys that seemed that were in that crew with you either went on to, you know, major acting roles or at least character acting roles. I mean, Brad Dourif has been around forever. Even right. like Sidney Lassick was, he was great. Oh, you know, he's like, in it. Yeah. I, I remember Bill Foreman would have him do a close up on Sidney Lassick and he'd finish his lines and, and, <laughs> He knows to just let the camera run because he knows he's going to get gold. Well, you too. I mean, that that moment where, you know, there's a, like, I can't imagine the process of shooting that. Okay, he must have shot, he must have shot a lot of silence with you guys because there's those scenes where you're just sitting there and like, you know, that moment where you don't realize that your foot's on fire is like, <laughs> I mean, I that that's, in, in, it's imprinted in my unconscious. I mean, like that moment where you're like, and you just lose your fucking mind. Right, I mean, right. Milos, uh, you know, he, he defected from Czechoslovakia. Uh -huh. Already established a film career. Uh, and he, But he, he told the story of being in the subway in somewhere in Czechoslovakia late at night. There were just mm -hmm. two or three people waiting for the train. And there was a guy smoking. And he just kind of did that flip flicked the cigarette butt and it landed in a person's cuff. And Milo saw, saw this 
And eventually it kind of caught fire and the guy went berserk. So he wanted, he just figured that that belongs here. <laughs> well, I'm glad he let the guy burn in order to get that idea. Yeah, yeah, that's. You know. <laughs> he didn't step in. He let, he let the scene play out. Yeah, being the creative person he was. I've talked to Danny DeVito, but it's uh, so interesting to see DeVito in that part because DeVito's such a, a, a sort of like cantankerous, brash little man. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and as Martini, he's the opposite. He's like this weird kind of almost, you know, no boundaried amoeba like vulnerable. Uh, the know. vulnerability of that guy. Yeah. You guys were doing some real acting there. And I think it was really, you know, and it seemed like, you know, certainly uh, the Meisner stuff and, and that type of training uh, uh-huh. was probably great for, for, for that particular movie, you know, because oh, no, because there was a naturalness to it that he was going for. And even Nicholson, who I think was also, uh, I don't know where he trained, but he was definitely an American, like, you know, a, a methody kind of guy that there was a naturalness to that, to all of you guys. that was kind of a, Amazing. Well, uh, Milos insisted on that. I mean, if he did something too big or wasn't natural, uh-huh. you know, like kind of art, he, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, uh, did you enjoy working with, uh, with Jack? Oh, I loved it. I, I, he was an idol of mine before Cuckoo's Nest. From what? Detail and five easy pieces, et cetera. He writer. Yeah. You know, I, I just thought he was the cat's ass, you know, yeah. the, the best thing going. At the, I remember the first day I, I walked on the set uh, and he was there talking to whatever. I'm, I'm here with this guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he was wonderful. He, he was just great. And he, you know, because most of us, um, had scant experience in film and he just he helped me out do this you know he was just so generous oh yeah i had a uh, scene the the bath scene where nicholson sprays everybody yeah and um i have a, a I'm, I'm with william redfield bless him playing a game and i'm going play the game play the game all that oh, yeah that, yeah that scene and Redfield was diagnosed with leukemia and so uh, went to a hospital and everything. So that scene never got completed at that moment. Oh, really? And, and there was, uh, I remember Saul Zantz, uh, who I really, really loved as a producer. He was, they were thinking, what are we going to do? Pull the plug or what are we going to do? So they changed the schedule around. Uh-huh. And uh, in about three weeks, William Redfield came back, or maybe less than that, but he came back. And so we got into the scene again, and I could not find it. I couldn't find my mojo, so to speak. I, you know, I just, you know, I was like feeling awkward. And I'm trying not to show it, you know. Yeah. And I, I wasn't really, but Nicholson during a, a thing, just kind of walked up to me very casually and just sort of quietly told me something I wish I could. And it put me right there, put me right where I needed to. <laughs> just soft and, and 
quiet and, and uh, he got so right he, in your head. He was very attentive to all of this. That's great, man. Because you, I mean, you work you work with him again, right? A couple years later. Go south. Going south. That's a kind of a weird, funny movie. Belushi's in that, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and Danny. Yeah, Danny Steenburgen. That was Mary Steenburgen's first. Uh, that was her big break. That was her first film. Yeah, I, I do believe. Yeah, and Nicholson had got her the gig. She was like a waitress. You know, he. Uh, I can't. I've talked to her about it. It was. She loves Jack. I mean, she she credits Jack with, you know, making you know getting her you know her start. I did a Broadway musical before uh, going south, and one night I'm I'm doing this this thing, and the stage manager comes back and says, "Jack Nicholson is in the audience, and he'd like to come back to your dressing room." So he came back. Meryl Streep was there in my dressing room, and a lot of Lenya. That ring a bell, Lada Lenya, the German actress. Oh, and. The lady that Jack was going with. Angelica? Angelica Houston. All crammed into my little dressing room. And uh, before Nicholson left, he said, I'm doing something this summer. Uh, I'll send a script to you if you're interested. And it was going south. Oh, what a sweetheart. What a sweetheart. You know, I love hearing those stories that he was sort of a... Because he always looked like he was having a great time and nobody loved making movies more than that guy. And, and it's yeah. nice to... Uh, and it's nice to know he's a it was a good guy, you know. Great, yeah. And I, I you know, it's weird. I was looking at, at. I'm sort of fascinated with. Um, I gotta watch it again because, like, I, I, I got it in my head. The Onion Field as being a terrifying movie, and uh-huh. I know, and I know you were in that, but I, I, I almost watched it again uh, this morning because I've been sort of curious about watching it because I know James Woods in it back before James Woods became right, this sort right. of this uh, cultural monster. Uh, he was just sort of a, an, an emotional monster in, in movie roles, but now he's sort of politically a pariah. But I, I, I do remember that being a fairly menacing movie. Yeah, yeah. An incredible story. I, I, I read the the book. It's horrifying. You know, it's a, it's a real, real, it happened. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, I was, a, I was a lawyer in jail, and I kind of right. helped them set it up or whatever. I, I've got to see it again. Yeah. Do you, uh, what did you say? I haven't thought about it in years, and I remember being—I was really young. I'm obviously younger. I was terrified. Uh huh. She yeah, was. I, I, that was my. That's the same experience I had. You know, I'm 57, yeah. so I remember seeing it when I, I probably shouldn't have seen it. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. my parents didn't know the you know what R meant. Oh, oh. So, so they would just take me if they couldn't get a babysitter. I saw Deliverance when I was 11. Did not need that. <laughs> <laughs> when did you move out to LA? I think it's 76. Yeah, 76. Cuckoo's Nest came out. I didn't have an agent. And Cuckoo's Nest came out, and I got a letter from an agent, uh, the Gersh Agency, to say that if I'm ever uh, on the West Coast, I'd like to have lunch or something. Hmm. I packed up so fast and got into my little car. Boom. I drove from New York to St. Louis one day. And then one shot. One shot, yeah. I did that too. Isn't it weird, though, when you look back on that, Chris, about the, the sort of strange moments of of panic and desperation uh, at the beginning where, you know, and, and now uh, years later you realize that these guys, they're just, they're just like doofus executives 
that you know made us you know jump through these fucking hoops. I mean, I'm not bitter, and I don't, and, and obviously I'm not you. But you know, when you look back on, you know, I remember one time I panicked because I had to get from from New York to Los Angeles for a Fox meeting, you know, at the studio, and you know, I drove because I was moving there, and, and everything was crazy. And then you get there, and they don't give a shit. They don't know that you just turned your life upside down to yeah, be there. But if you missed the meeting, you're shit. <laughs> I guess so. I guess that's true at the beginning. I guess we never know. You don't want to be that guy. You know, he doesn't give a shit. It's like, no, I'm stuck in St. Louis trying to make a meeting. <laughs> so you ran out there to Gersh and you, and you get, and that was your agency. You signed with them. Yeah. I mean, and I went out, I went out, uh, all these people in New York gave me a list agents to check out, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know. So I went out there and he was one of the first agents I went up to see. And <laughs> I remember I, I got to his office. I didn't know LA or, or nothing, you know. And um, they took me out to lunch, and another with a, another association. And we went to Joe Allen's for lunch, mm. uh, Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. you know, Thunderbird convertible. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> big not. <laughs> they they gave you the full treatment. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I declined to sign. Asked me to sign. I thought this is an important thing. I got to go through this list first, you know. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and then I, and and then he gave me a job. I wasn't signed yet. He said, "This is a, a low budget film in Santa Fe, New Mexico." What was it? Oh, it, it was what was the name of it? Santa Fe Seventeen. I don't know. Something yeah, yeah. Okay. Christopher Walken. And a Canadian, French Canadian actress uh-huh. who's kind of faded out. I don't know what happened to her, but she was, you know, and I was, I got there five days ahead of time because I wanted to get, I had to ride a horse. I had makeup with wounds. All my, I was a conquestador coming uh-huh. up from Mexico. And I was there five days and took in the scene. Yeah. And, the morning that I was to be first established on camera, I'd been there five days to get everything ready, but I couldn't get anything out of the makeup department. They didn't give a shit. So I go to, I go to the makeup trailer to get the wig that I'm going to be wearing. Yeah. She got very testy, got the wig and threw it at me. From there, I went, found the producer, director, and I gave my notice. <laughs> gave my notice. And, uh, and uh, Christopher Walken called me up and said, Chris, what are you doing and all that? And I called Gersh, you know, and the guy I spoke to, he wasn't letting me off the hook. He said, you're going to walk on your first, you know, and they had sent the contracts to me in Santa Fe. So I had the contract to sign. I hadn't signed them yet. And I said to him, uh, I got the contracts. What do you want me to do? He said, sign them. And that, that made me really feel good that I could, you know, make my own decisions if there was something I didn't want to do. And they put up with that, you know. Did, so you, I, did, you, did you do it, the movie? No. <laughs> I walked. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so funny that it was just, it all hinged on a makeup lady. And then there was a, a, a rang, you know, the, the head guy with the horses, he wouldn't. He wouldn't let me ride the horse I want to do, and I probably ridden much more than he had at that point. But you know, it was just. Yeah. Did you grow up riding horses? Yeah, yeah we had horses. I went to riding school. Oh wow! 
all that stuff. I spent uh, summer on a ranch in uh, Wyoming. I didn't realize that you worked with Jack another time in the Postman, huh? Oh, yeah. Postman yeah. always rings twice. Yeah, I have a little piece that occurs either before or during the credits when he's driving down the road and I'm hitchhiking. Yeah. Or I'm driving and he's Yeah. I really don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, and then we go and he has that breakfast first thing. But that 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 was it. But it was very nice. It was a lot of fun. Do you like is he a guy you keep in touch with ever? I have in fact in fact I was with Danny and, and somebody the other day and we all asked each other how do we talk to Jack and none of us had, so I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what's happening to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to be with the plague and everything. Now you're used to seeing him. At least you see him at the game, and you're like, okay, he's there. He's at the game. He must be okay. So how did? Because uh, it seems like all that stuff about Cuckoo's Nest is like right there. It's like those memories are so fresh because it was such a a profound kind of uh, experience. You know, do you feel the same way about Taxi? Taxi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tax, taxi. Uh... It's funny because I, I came out from New York. I and I told Gersh, yeah, uh, I, I I don't want I don't want to do any sitcoms. Right. I had a kind of a New York attitude that to do a sitcom is selling your soul. Yeah, That's a lot it. of guys felt that way. D Dustin Hoffman felt that way. A lot of actors felt that way. Yeah, yeah. So he would send me once in a while up to just meet people, even if you know, like Starsky and Hutch <laughs> and some others. I don't remember what. And then taxi came along. You didn't do any episodic work. You didn't do any bit parts. Walk, you know, little parts in TV. No, not I have since, but but not, not before, before taxi. No. Mm. Oh, they sent me up, and um, it worked out. Well, what you, what what sold you on it? Why 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 how, how, why were you able to to adjust your your uh, uh, your sense of integrity? What what sold you on it? Was it James Brooks? Who? Easy. I just sold out. That's hey, all. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take any anything at all huh stop doing it yeah no i uh i got the script um and i just something seemed to click in my i i i looked at the part and i saw that you know kind of felt i could do this like what when you read it what, what was it like you know what, what was it that got you that made you realize like this guy this guy's got legs for me you know <laughs> um, I mean, I don't remember exact words, but yeah, they they described it well, and I felt I could do this. And uh, not that I had any background in that area, but I, I you know, I felt I could do it. And I went, I, uh, I had a, a neighbor uh, in, in Laurel Canyon who was cleaning out the bushes, and he found this jacket with a peace sign, Levi jacket. I wore that into the audition, and old you know, Levi's, you know, yeah. I got I got in the frame of mind, and uh, when I finished, as I got out the door, I said, "Wear that Monday." <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I wore until Dude, one year after the second year, somebody stole the jacket from the oh, God damn it! But they, you know, we. So it was some uh, some old hippie garbage jacket from the canyon. Oh yeah, huh? yeah. Laurel Canyon. This guy found it in the bushes. Yeah, <laughs> beaten and all. That's funny. It was, thank God there was no body there. 
Yeah. Now, like, it seems like, you, you know, your character was, you, you know, extreme and over the top and intense. And, you know, and then you had Andy there, you know, doing his uh, his character, which is over the top and intense, but in a different way. Did you guys get along pretty well? We all got along. I mean, there were the times when Andy would do something like elate or whatever. Uh, he did something that pissed off Tony, Tony Danza. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Tony Dines got got a fire extinguisher. Opened the door to uh, Andy's dressing room. It was that foam, one of those foam ones. He just went, <laughs> but that never got got bad because we loved doing the show. We had great writers, and we all clicked yeah. in our own funny ways. Yeah, I worked with Judd a bit. He played my father for a few episodes on a show, and I. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's a sweet guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we just of all the casts that I've been in, Taxi always keeps together. We just we just did a a, a Zoom uh, the other day with Mary Lou and Carol Kane and Tony and Judd. We're still in each other's lives, and it's great. Well, that's nice. That, that's nice. You know, because I always ask people that, you know, because I, you know, as a fan of movies and TV, you know, took after years of doing this and talking to you guys, you know, I always assume like it, it took a long time to, to break my my idea that like I always assume that everyone hangs out afterwards, you know, but they don't. Oh, I, I was stunned. You know, The Cook was that's my first movie. It was a 12 week, a 12 week shoot. And we all became comrades and Nicholson, whatever. I remember the rap or the, the last part, the last week or so on the on Cougar's Nest was the boat trip. Yeah. You know, where we all escaped. Fishing trip, boat. yeah. And then we we wrapped it and it was like, boom, nothing. It was yeah. over. And it was like, oh. <laughs> Heartbreaking. Yeah. But that's nice that they, well, I mean, the TV is different because, I mean, you know, you're with those people for years. Yeah. Like a family, for Christ's sake! I know. Yeah, and then the, and then Back to the Future that that became a, I mean, you know, I, I that seemed, it's like you know, Taxi was huge and your character was huge, but it seems like the Back to the Future thing just put it all over the top, and that's who you're going to be for the for the rest of time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I know it's it's tight me a little bit, but I I don't care because yeah. I still. I got other stuff to work on. And- oh no, no. I mean, I know, but it like, was it like these things when you look back on them, actually, I don't know. It, it's weird because you would have thought it's actually the opposite that I think about it. Cause you know, as Reverend Jim, you know, you had this, you know, you were typecasted by as that for a while, but then back to the future happened and you just became that guy. And even as uncle Fester, I mean, you're actually, you actually, you know, you, you, you are always, I see you as you, I don't associate you with, uh, with a role, oh, all yeah. right. I, I I don't even know why I said that, but I, I guess I just said it because you know it, it it must it must you must be excited when something has legs enough to keep going. You know, it, it must be somewhat nice to 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 reengage with casts, even in a sequel uh, again to do that kind of work. Yeah, well, as a future resonated in a way with with people. Yeah, more than anything else I've done. Partially because so many uh, generations of children, young people, have grown up 
over the years. And who, some of them who claim that, that Back to the Future was their life, you know, uh, to, to look at. And, and that's a good feeling. And so many people I've, who have seen, who grew up on the movie, became engineers and scientists and surgeons. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And they all attribute it to watching that film. So that's a good feeling, you know. That's amazing, and and yeah. and, I, and you go you and you actually, I guess those fans, like you know, the fans you have for like Star Trek as well, some of the Star Trek work you did, they're very uh-huh. intelligent, sweet, sensitive, nerdy people. So I mean, because you go to Comic Con, right? Ah, yes, I do. <laughs> and 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 yeah. is that fun for you? Do you make? Is it? It, it is fun. When I when I first started it. Um, a few years ago, whatever, I was like kind of tentative, you know. But you get these people coming in who are glad to see you and yeah. want to see you and want to share their moments with you. And it's, it's you know, sometimes I wake, when I first started out, I wake up in the morning and say, oh, my God, I'm going to go sign autographs for eight hours. Yeah! You know? Yeah. But then I'd get there and I forget all that because it's just so interactive. Yeah. It's it's great. So now when do you, uh, like, have you, like, coming back full circle here, um, do you know the play Lear? Have you done Lear before? No. Oh, yes. I've been in the production years ago, uh, three times, but... uh, Now I'm doing it. I'm I'm Lear. Before I was playing various parts in it. Because that's uh, one of those roles where, y- y- you know, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of this weird gift that uh, that uh, a certain type of actor at a certain age, you know, is either, yeah. you know, enabled to do. Yeah, well, I I'm I have some trepidations. You know, well, like what? That I could pull it off. You know, yeah. it's it's uh, it's huge. Not not just in terms of line, but the depth of emotion that's required. You know that you can't just uh, yeah dance around. You know? Yeah, and so it's a big deal, but it's such a great part. And uh, I know it's just something got into me that, and I I never thought about it. Right? When I was in the three productions years ago. I, I never thought to myself, boy, I want to play that part someday. I had I, I just didn't consider it, you know. And then about five years ago, I woke up one day. Why not me? You know, it's like it came out. I don't know where that came from, but uh, and I think I'm in a good situation now, um, up at the Berkshire uh-huh. Shakespeare Company. And, how, and so you, do, it seems like you just keep working. I mean, like you, like, are you, what, how do you decide what to do? Is it a, a matter of time or quality or, you know, I, it seems like you'd like to keep working and you're just going to keep going. I, I'm just going to keep going. Uh, I, I know when I started out, I had doubts that I was going to work at all, you yeah. know, that I got, I got into a, a workshop or whatever. So, and I love doing that. I, you know, I don't care what the part is, play, who wrote it, whatever. As long as I, I feel a connection, uh, I just go and do it. Yeah, and and you still and you enjoy it. Oh yeah, totally. I'm doing a <laughs> film now, um, 
George fucking Clooney. Oh, George fucking Clooney. Sure. Yeah, and uh, Ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's I was so excited. We've already started shooting, and I'm and it's a very different character from uh, from. You know, I'm not repeating anything. I'm, what's, you know, what what movie's that? Uh, it's based on a novel, The Tender Bar. The Tender Bar, huh? Is a guy who dreamed of being a ball player oh. before he did, so didn't work out, and something that I'm still trying to get it. He gets this old house in Manhasset. His family is grown. His sons. You know, so it's full, a house full of his family who can't afford to live anywhere else, and he hates it. He hates that they're in the house. It looks like it's a big ensemble piece. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great that you're still working, and I thought this new movie, the the nobody film. You know, I know Bob, and and I thought it was a, it was kind of a. It's not the kind of movie I usually watch, but I watched it last night, and it's fun. It's what my dad calls a a real shoot 'em up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But uh, but it was great work, and it's great talking to you, Chris, and, and continued success, my friend. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Christopher Lloyd, the new movie is uh, Nobody, which was good. Bob Odenkirk plays the heavy in theaters Friday, March 26th. And now let's play some guitar that I'm sure I've played before, but it's always a little different because it's fresh, serving it up fresh. Same three chords, fresh. Here it is, relatively clean, a little vibratoed, a bit reverbed. Stratocaster straight in. Monkey and La Fonda, cat angels everywhere. Sammy Red is here. <laughs> 